Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is the Whole Shots Hello again, and welcome back to another Horror Shots podcast with me, your host, as always, Casey. I do apologize for missing last week. I did have the flu, and it was very, very uncomfortable. Quite ill, actually. It wasn't the best time of my life, but I seem to have passed that, and uh, we're going back to some Vampire Watcher's Handbook, A Guide for Slayers by Constantine Gregory. Now, I was hoping to move on from this this week, but uh, time constraints kind of got in the way, and, well, one thing led to another, and, well, here we are, continuing on our adventure through the book, but first, of course, there are some housekeeping things I have to get out of the way. Once again, I would love to thank you all for listening. Honestly, this is the whole reason I do it. I don't get paid. I don't have any advertisers. I don't get any money for this. I do it all because I know that some people out there actually enjoy it. This past week has been kind of insane for downloads. I don't know where the big burst came from, but the last couple of days specifically have been through the roof. So thank you so much for that. Secondly, if you do want to support me in other ways, I do have a Patreon. Every little bit does help make the show that much better, be it more sound gear, a better studio, setup that I have in my apartment, which isn't the greatest. There's a lot of ambient noise and takes a lot of editing to get rid of that. And I've got animals. i got pets who constantly try to interrupt my recording with their screeching or their scratching or something. So you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash horror shots and of course you get some stuff out of it too depending on how much you pledge if you pledge a little bit then you get a shout out you pledge a little bit more you get anything from access to parts of my website to you know books that i've written in the past so it's all pretty exciting and it's not just for me it's for you too like i said it's a very cyclical thing everything goes around in a circle you help out show gets better you get a little more entertained and you get some stuff out of it but You know, that's up to you completely. If you don't want to do that, I completely understand. And I thank you anyway, just for having the thought, just for thinking about it, just for maybe going, hmm, perhaps I'll give you some money, but you don't have to. Um, Also, I am on Twitter. Some of you have been interacting recently with me and it's kind of fun. So if you'd like to keep that up, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at HorrorShotsPod. But now I think we should get on to the podcast at hand. And I know there was no quote at the beginning of this. I know. I couldn't find one that was really applicable anyway. I've kind of used up all my quotes, I think. But uh, here we go. Let's start off with the Vampire Watcher's Handbook from Constantine Gregory. I think we're still on chapter two. And this one is called Vampire Traits. If you are unable to identify a revenant from its looks, you certainly will from its ungodly behavior. Once again, put from your mind the nocturnal bloodsucker of fiction, for the many species of vampire have a wide range of habits that may surprise you. Mendication, simply eating. This refers to the buried vampire's habit of chewing on its shroud or burial clothes. In his treatise, The Eating Dead of 1728, Michael Ranfidus lists numerous accounts from witnesses having heard pig-like snorting and snuffling sounds emerging from graves. Once disinterred, it was found that corpses had devoured some or all of their cerements, and some had even begun eating their own flesh. In one 16th century case, a man and a woman were found chewing on their own eviscerated intestines. That's some pretty loyal stuff. If they're buried as a couple, then, you know, 
death do you part, as they say. Next section is diet. On the subject of eating, it is worth pursuing the typical vampire's menu. As well as consuming their own flesh, the revenant will readily indulge in anthropophagy, the killing of a human being for cannibalistic purposes. A related habit is necrophagy, the eating of corpses that may or may not have been dead for years. Another distasteful dish in the diet of the undead, particularly in India and Bulgaria, which is kind of weird considering they are nowhere near each other, is animal or human feces. This is perhaps why some vampires recognize by their acute halitosis or stained teeth. Finally, of course, the vampire's disgusting dinner is often washed down with a mouthful of blood. Do not expect the creature always to opt for the jugular. Blood may be sucked from the chest or even the soles of the feet. Note, vampires may also return to their family home for a favorite meal, followed by a demand for sexual intercourse. Flight. A persistent misconception is that vampires can fly, or at least transmogrify into a winged beast. This is not true in all cases, but certain species have indeed mastered flight. The Filipino undead seem to have this ability, as do the Malay Lang Suir, the Chinese Chiang Shi, and some Serbian revenants. Day walking. Or blade for you comic book geeks or movie buffs out there. Daemonium Merdianum, the noonday devil, can walk the earth in daylight. Few vampires are purely nocturnal, so expect an encounter at any time of the day or night, especially if hunting in Eastern Europe. Hydrophobia. Water is the most natural of purifiers, so vampires are unable to swim or even cross running water. I'd heard that about witches in the past, but I wasn't too sure about vampires. Apparently, that is the case. Next subsection of the chapter here, we have Psychic Vampires. Published in English in 1887, Adolphe de Assier posthumous humanity proposed that vampires did not even need to leave their graves to prey on the living. They could somehow detach and dispatch their astral body, which would seek out the living and drain their energy. Now, if you remember my podcast on necromancy, there was a lot of astral projection with that when you met Azazel, the angel of death. So this is kind of an interesting little uh, tidbit, a little bit of a connection between vampires and those who practice the evil, quote-unquote evil, dark magic of necromancy. The idea of re-energizing the soul by psychically sponging off the living predates Daasier's study by hundreds if not thousands of years. The ancient Asarian Ekimu was a tormented spirit that returned to its family home to suck the life force from its relatives. The Bible tells of the aging King David who in order to revitalize himself, slept alongside a beautiful young virgin without knowing her. That knowing her is in quotes, which is a little creepy. And in 1486, the Catholic Church recognized the existence of vampires by sanctioning the publication of the Malus Maleficarum, which we discussed earlier in this book, and I've discussed it in other casts as well. It's a very important book, especially in the witchcraft world. And that book discussed at length the existence of incubi and succubi, the psychic vampires that rape their victims as they sleep. Incubi and succubi take their names from the Latin incubare, meaning to lie on, as the first symptom of an attack by these diabolical creatures is a sense that something is sitting on your chest. It is generally accepted that the incubus is a male demon and the succubus is female, hence the ancient use of succubus to mean prostitute. 
Although in his 18th century Tractus de Angelis, Charles René Billuard argued that the same evil spirit may serve as a succubus to a man and is an incubus to a woman. So in other words, the spirit is the same, it just appears different depending on which gender or sexual orientation the victim is. That's kind of neat. That's an interesting little note as well. And it makes sense. Why would demons care about, or in this case succubuses, or succubi rather, care about the gender or the sexual orientation? They just want the energy. They want the life source that is within their victim. So they would just appear as to whatever would be the most pleasurable or the most likely to get what they want from their victim. Very interesting. Whatever the case may be, the effect is the same. The victim is left drained of energy. The nightly visitations may continue indefinitely or until the prey has been psychically bled to death, and the victim may never know the cause of their infirmaries. But these are just two of the demons that indulge in nightly bouts of vampiric activity. In West Africa, the Obafayu is a form of vampire that leaves its body to terrorize humans, cattle, and even crops. This particularly menacing fiend has the ability to drink blood, even in its incorporeal form. The closely related Lugaru, found in the Caribbean, also leaves its body behind, traveling in search of blood in the form of a glowing orb of light. And the German Alp is a shape-shifting demon that enters the dreams of its female victims via their mouth. Even the living can have vampiric effect on others. The Burblang tribe of the Philippines claim to be able to astrally project from their bodies and vampirize their enemies. Initiates of this black art can also train their minds to prey on weak individuals in order to feed psychically or to increase their ranks with new suggestible members. Suggestible is in quotes, so I'm going to assume that has some sort of slave or sexual sort of connotation there. Now we have some symptoms of psychic attacks. Nightmares. The term nightmare refers to the Mara, the nocturnal spirit that crushes its victims as they sleep, and vivid, terrifying nightmares are one possible sign that a psychic assault is taking place. Victims may have heightened sensory involvement, smelling, hearing, and even feeling their attacker while being helpless to defend themselves. Crushing feelings. It can often feel as if a great weight is pressing down on the chest. This may be accompanied by an overwhelming sense of fear. In dreams, it may even be possible to see a creature perching on the chest or performing sexual intercourse. Lethargy. Following a psychic assault, the victim may feel lifeless, fatigued, or emotionally drained. These two frightened to sleep will find themselves beginning to look like walking corpses, gaunt, gray-skinned, and overall drained. Quote-unquote immaculate conceptions. An incubus may leave more than a feeling of tiredness. Some victims have reported pregnancies following an attack. Some are genuine, resulting in the birth of a child that, upon death, will return as a vampire. Others are phantom pregnancies, as Malice Maleficarum explains. Victims may be seemingly pregnant, but on patriation, the swelling is revealed by an expulsion of great quantity of wind. Not gonna touch that one. Unexplained death. There are many known cases of young, healthy people who simply die in their sleep from no known causes. In such cases, a psychic vampire is a likely suspect. It should be noted here that not all cases of psychic vampirism happen at night, or for that matter, intentionally. 
You may sometimes feel the presence of a psychic vampire during the course of the day as your energy flags and your enthusiasm for everyday activity wanes. Unintentional vampirism may also occur when those around you, quite possibly friends and relatives, drain you of emotion without being aware of the damaging effects they're having on you. Next subsection, vampire animals. It is a fact of the natural world that vampire animals do exist. The common vampire bat generally does suck blood from the living, as does the vampire finch, or sharp-billed ground finch of Madagascar. It may not be a bloodsucker, but the hauntingly named Vamparotuithis infernalis, quite literally the vampire squid from hell, is a true creature of the deep, so named for its jet black cape-like appearance and blood-red eyes. However, these vampire animals need not concern the modern vampire slayer. Of greater importance are the animals under the direct control of the devil. As we have seen, animals that leap over a recently dead body risk becoming possessed by the spirit of the deceased. Such accidental vampirism can be avoided by taking sensible precautions such as locking away pets between a death and the funeral. Certain species of vampire are also able to transmogrify into any animal at will, meaning that the vampire hunter must be suspicious of all types of animals he encounters during an investigation. The German Alp, for instance, may appear in the guise of a dog, a pig, a bird, or a snake. In the Balkans and parts of Asia, vampire butterflies and moths have been known to terrorize unwary travelers, and throughout Europe, dogs, wolves, owls, and cats have all fallen under suspicion. Indeed, during the witch hunts of the Middle Ages, cats were subjected to trial by jury and even tortured and hanged for their association with witches. Theriomorphic vampires, those that are able to change from human to animal form, are not easy to identify. One of the few signs of such a change is a wound inflicted on an animal that subsequently appears on a human. Which makes sense. You shoot a dog in the leg and the next day Johnny down the street has a bullet hole in his leg. Chances are he's one of these vampires that uh, Constantine is talking about here. The vampires of Transylvania offer a pertinent example. Red-haired men who rise from the dead are believed to possess the power to transform themselves into frogs. Thus, any injury suffered by the frog would also appear in the corresponding body part of the human. Finally, be aware of animals that assist the vampire in its diabolical chores. In the Philippines, for example, be on your guard if during the night you hear a blood-curdling kiki, kiki, birdsong. This is the sound made by birds that lead the blood-sucking aswang vampire to its prey. Similarly, the cordua, the witch vampire of Bengal, sends her malicious soul roaming in the body of an enslaved cat, and only the keen-eared will recognize the beast's peculiar mewling. Ooh, now we're on to a classic, vampire bats. One of the most enduring images we associate with the vampire is that of the bat. Bram Stoker's Dracula is peppered with references to these supposedly menacing winged mammals. Lucy is pestered by a bat, the Count presumably transmogrified, repeatedly buffeting against her window. Mina encounters Dracula in the form of a bat on her windowsill, and Van Helsing describes to Harker, quote, bats that come out at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry their veins. Van Helsing is, of course, referring here to vampire bats. Of the 925 species of bats, there are three that do indeed drink blood, although 
Given the fact that they are restricted to Central and South America, the inhabitants of Transylvania have little to fear. The common vampire bat is a fascinating creature. For one, it is the only bat that is as nimble on the ground as it is graceful in the air. When it locates its prey, it lands nearby and with a gait more akin to the crab, scuttles towards it silently. It then clambers over its body to find the most suitable spot for dining and using its two canines, neatly trims away the fur. The skin is punctured by the two upper incisors, or fangs. As the creature bites, it administers an anticoagulant that prevents the wound from clotting allowing the bat to lap up the oozing blood with its specially adapted grooved tongue. The vampire bat lives solely on blood. It is the only known mammal, Singevore. Although it requires only a few tablespoons worth each day, they choose to feed from slumbering cattle, horses, peccaries, and birds. Although they have been known to drink the blood of snakes, lizards, and crocodiles. I have even heard a first-hand account of a Mexican priest waking to find a still bleeding vampire bat bite on the tip of his nose. Vampire bats, he revealed, were at one time used in bloodletting ceremonies to heal the sick. So forget the great leather-winged terror of vampire fiction. No larger than your thumb, and with a wingspan measuring roughly 8 inches, the only real risk vampire bats pose is the spreading of rabies, a disease which can decimate cattle populations. However, you should consider carrying a small bag of vampire bat bones with you when slaying. They will bring you luck, so say the gypsy. The next section here is entitled Werewolves. Now remember this chapter is identifying the undead. So not just vampires, but anything that would relate to things that have died and come back to life. So assuming werewolves fall into that category, we have them here. Maybe even zombies will be coming up. I don't know, I haven't read that far ahead, but we will find out very shortly, I'd imagine. There's much cultural and religious heritage linking together vampires and werewolves. Both have the ability to alter their forms, both are driven by a lust for human blood, and both claim their victims under the cover of darkness. Montenegrin legend has it that all vampires spend a gestational period as a werewolf, while Balkan mythology states that werewolves become vampires after their death. Indeed, it was commonly believed that anyone who died while under the curse of a werewolf would be reborn as a vampire. Other beliefs from across the world attest to the link between these creatures of the night. In Serbia, the vampire and the werewolf are known by the same name, Vliklosak. And in China, it was believed that, like werewolves, vampires were also covered in fur. The French fear the vampire like Lublin, a werewolf that digs up bodies in graveyards in order to feast on the flesh. Telltale signs of lycanthropy, when the creature takes the form of a human, includes broad hands with stubby fingers and hair in the hollows of the palm. It is common for one eyebrow to meet in the middle of the forehead, and the individual may take an unnatural pleasure in cruelty and extreme brutality. Beware of a man sleeping next to the casually discarded skin of a wolf. This may indicate a werewolf recently returned from its night of mayhem, exhausted by its excess. In its transmogrified state, the werewolf is easier to recognize, although able to turn into a terrifying and huge, and in some cases the size of a calf, beast, a werewolf is unable to disguise the human intelligence in its eyes. As well as this sentience, the werewolf has superhuman strength that combines animal ferocity with human cunning. This is evident by the slaughter left in its trail. 
A werewolf will kill anything it comes across, spurred by its lust for blood and death. Scenes of carnage with mauled or half-eaten corpses, animal or human, is a good indicator of a recent werewolf activity, especially if you find it was preceded by a full moon. I just want to let you know I called this. I didn't read ahead, but zombies are the next thing up. So here we go. Let's get into some zombie action. Although zombies or zombie are not related to any vampire species, they may resemble the undead and share both their habits and habitat. The name is derived from the Congolese word nzambi, which refers to the spirit of the dead, and in appearance they share the deathly pallor of a revenant. Unlike the vampire, however, they remain mute and oblivious to their surroundings, and are seemingly lacking any individual will. This class of walking dead has its origins in black magic with the voodoo culture of Haiti. While vampires are the hideous result of satanic or demonic intervention, zombies are created by a bokor, a voodoo sorcerer. These evil masters have the power to turn an innocent human victim into a compassionless killer. In recent times, a zombie has even acquired a reputation for vampire-like feeding on human flesh and brain matter. Zombies are created by poisoning a victim with Pudur Zombie, a magical concoction that includes a toxin obtained from the puffer fish. This is potentially fatal to humans, so those that are not killed fall into a coma. The body becomes paralyzed, heart activity falls, and the skin becomes a cold and sallow mess. Believing that the person has died, preparations are made for burial. Some who have survived the experience have described being aware of their own funerals. To me, I think that is one of the most terrifying things that can ever happen, being buried alive or being awake during your death, so to speak. I think maybe the saddest part is to see how many people don't show up to my funeral, but that's beside the point. Anyway, a number of days after burial, the Bokor reverses the effects of the poison by using a cocktail of powerful drugs known as a zombie cucumber. If the victim manages to survive, he or she will suffer extreme shock from the ordeal. Brain damage and physical trauma are also likely side effects of the drug. In such a condition, the zombie, unable to resist, is beaten and bullied into doing the will of the Bokor. Historically, many have ended up as slaves on plantations. Traditionally, zombies are destroyed either by burning or decapitation. There are many cultures in which people are more afraid of being turned into the zombie rather than the creature itself. To prevent this, family members will sometimes stab the deceased through the heart or cut off the head. This is believed to free the soul from the reach of the bokor. Now, I think I will end it there. Uh, that is the end of the zombie chapter. Next up, we will have some witches to look at, which is kind of exciting. I do enjoy my witches and witchcraft, as you may have known from the uh, previous casts that I have done. But there's no saying that I will actually continue doing this next week. Maybe I'll have some more time and I'll look into something else. I was kind of playing with the idea of doing something on, you know, the origins and the history of cryptozoology, but I uh, didn't get the chance this past week to look into it as much as I would like. Had everything saved, but just wasn't able to compile it all into some cohesive thoughts. So the Vampire Watcher's Handbook came to the rescue yet again. Now, it does seem that you guys do like it, so it's not like it's the worst thing in the world. But uh, variety is the spice of life, so if we can continue doing it as well as other things, that would be ideal. But we'll just have to wait until next week to see what I do churn out. So until then, stay spooky.